They say that on old boxes, the punch is the last thing to go. So that they go into the ring, get beaten up quite badly because, you know, there's always that chance they could continue. And that's a bit like the film that I'm going to be reviewing tonight. This is uh, it's an interesting piece of work. It's a 1978 movie and uh, it's produced by Ewan Lloyd and others, but Ewan Lloyd is known as the um, as the producer of um, another very fine film that I've reviewed, Who Dares Wins? And this one was... Uh, it was a, um, a screenplay based on a, a book called The Thin White Line by Daniel Carney. It was... Um, it was about the uh, the flag and shoulder patch used by um, a soldier in a in five commando in the ANC, and I think you might have guessed what it is now. It's the star-studded and star-dudded the wild geese. of a cause celebre this film there's even a bit of comedy about it Harry Enfield in these excellent Norbert Smith um, retrospective uh, did um, did a sort of sketch on this where all of the actors are out of condition and coughing and throwing up and all of that and that's part of the plot really because the whole idea is that there are a group of mercenaries who are um asked to do a job by a sort of I suppose he's a um, well he's he's called Sir Edward Matheson so he's some kind of businessman and and high up in British society and he asks them to to do one last job they're all in retirement but he asks them to come back because he wants to um, have Julius Limbani, who's uh, an ex-president in a Southern African nation who has been imprisoned and due to be executed. They want, they want him out of the country because they think he's a force for good. He's not an, authorita- he's not an authoritarian president. He's a, he's a force for good. And uh, at no point does the person who is asked to do this, Alan Faulkner, think, why is he asking me an older bloke who can't really do it anymore to do this. He never thinks, he might have asked me, he was going to recruit a load of older blokes because he's got a nefarious idea and he might be in for a double cross. That does, it doesn't, doesn't occur to him until the double cross actually takes place. So he starts recruiting 49 other mercenaries, people he's known in the past, and we see them being trained, trying to get themselves back into peak physical condition. And of course, they get Limbani out, but there is a double cross and it doesn't end well. You don't need to know anymore because this is not about the plot. In a way, the plot is just a MacGuffin 
to get loads of stars on board. It's as if they said, let's get loads of stars. What, what script can give us loads of stars in this? Oh, I know, there's a book where there's 49 mercenaries. That can get some stars in there. So, let's read who's in it. Alan Faulkner, Richard Burton, Sean Finn, bit of a, bit, bit of a maverick, of course he is a mercenary, Roger Moore. Alan Faulkner's mate, Rafa Janders, Rafa, Richard Harris, Hardy Kruger, as a rather um, racist South African mercenary. Edward Matheson is played by Stuart Granger. You've got Frank Finley suddenly arrives as a father that Rafa knows. Oh, in, in all the gin joints, in all the towns, in all the deserts, in all the South African nations, he knows him, suddenly turns up. An Irish priest. Barry Foster is um, Sir Edward Matheson's number two. Ronald Fraser's in there. Patrick Allen is in there as some kind of high mercenary person. The Barrett Holmes man, you know. This is big. Oh, Kenneth Griffith, forgot him. Jack Watson, forgot him. There's so many of them. And it's not about the plot. It's just about a load of blokes having a final jolly. That's what the plot is about, really. Although there's death involved. Don't know why they couldn't just meet down the pub. Or do a mercenary meeting once a year. Remember when we did that mercenary job? I remember that. Another pint. Much better than getting shot and killed. Anyway. The whole thing is about them having a good time. Burton and Richard Harris, and Harris was, he had to, um, he had to, he had to uh, um, agree that some of his fee had to go because they were worried that on the film he'd done before that he might, because of his drinking and apparent drinking and, and apparent rewriting of the script, that, that it, it put that film one and a half million pounds over budget, apparently. So he and you and the producer had to put some money in to say that he would be a good boy. And there's loads of stuff even before they start. The, um, the casting was fraught. They wanted, uh, they wanted um, Michael Winner, United Artists, to, to direct this because, you know, at the time, he was quite a big director. I mean, not a good director, but a big director. You've got Death Wish... Death Wish 1, uh, Death Wish 2, um, Death Wish 3, uh, what else have we got? Uh, um, oh yeah, Death, Death Wish 4, um, Dirty Weekend, as he would call it, I think, and um, uh, oh yeah, Death Wish 5, yeah, so called because one of the scenes takes place in a trout canning factory. Anyway. He didn't do it because um, they want to. He, because you and the producer wanted somebody else. He actually wanted. Um, he didn't want a winner. He wanted his own man to direct this. He wanted Andrew McLagan to direct it, son of Victor McLagan. And he mainly made westerns. Hardy Kruger wasn't very happy with some of the um, direction he got regarding character. He has probably 
the most difficult role here because he's actually got a little bit of fairly well written script whereas the rest of them just haven't it's just statements they're just speaking big statements you know um and sort of bleary-eyed emotion you know but so he's, he, he directs it well with, with loads of color and loads of sound you know throw the color at it throw the sound at it show us where the money is they filmed it in South Africa that had its own issues as well of course and there were other issues around the casting of it they they wanted Burton and Roger Moore right from the beginning they um, they wanted someone else to play the character of Sandy Young but unfortunately he died it was Stephen Boyd so they got Jack Watson in who was a late replacement they wanted um, Joseph Cotton to play the part of Victor Matheson played by Stuart Granger but he couldn't do it because of scheduling issues they wanted Burt Lancaster to play Rafer Janders now I think that would have really been difficult because he's in a way a bigger star or a similarly large star as as, as Richard Burton that really wouldn't have worked I don't think but Lancaster wanted the part enlarged funnily enough they said no so Richard Harris came on you know so you've got Hardy Kruger was not the first person considered Kurt Jurgens was considered but they said Hardy seemed to fit okay Actually, more later, later on about the filming, said that he was the only wild member of the Wild Geese, said that, that as Harris and Burton were on the wagon. And he said that Kruger never emerged from the room because his room, because he, he had his lady in there with him. Moore's character, actually, O.J. Simpson almost got offered it. But there was confusion on an, America's finan an American financier's part because the character was described as being black Irish. So it went through a bit of a, a difficult conception, this movie, and really it, it's, it's a romp. I mean, that's kind of all you can say right from the beginning with the Joan Armour trading title track, which he sings funnily a little bit wobbly. And the first shot is Concord. Okay, this is an expensive movie, Concord, you know. All of these, th these people don't seem like mercenaries. And at the time, you know, in the sort of mid-70s, there was a feeling that there was going to be a coup against... Um, the, I mean, mercenaries and uh, certainly in African nations were... Uh, um, there were regular reports of that kind of activity. And even in this country, it was thought that Wilson was going to be replaced and there was going to be a right-wing coup because they were concerned about how much he'd given to the unions and when he came in with uh, a very small majority um, after Edward Heath he uh, sorted out the, the, the strike for uh, energy workers by giving them what they wanted so right-wingers were saying well we could put Mountbatten in his place and, and, and run the country that way so this was a kind of feeling you know certainly in the 70s in a more politically charged era but these don't look like mercenaries. Even though they've run to fat because they haven't done it for a while, they just seem like actors, film stars. And what, in one planning scene, Richard Harris has got, has got a cigarette holder. 
you know, it's... And Burton's got a sort of chestnut, chestnut rinse. In fact, in one scene, after they've done their montage about um, about uh, getting back into into the kind of um, you know getting the fat off and and training, Burton is walking about in some kind of cardigan. When they actually come to get Limbani, it's remarkably easy. I mean, they use a crossbow on two people in towers, and then the rest of the blokes who are there seem to be in some kind of canteen. So they throw a grenade in, and that's it. Seems to be dead easy, doesn't it? But no. Because of Matheson's double cross, that double dealing son of a gun, there's loads of people after them. And this means they have to find another way out. The plane they thought was coming isn't. They have to get to the plane. And during this journey where there's lots of shooting and all of that, and everyone's dead frightened and all of that, there's um, an interesting bit where um, Hardy Kruger, playing the uh, South African apartheid-loving mercenary, who's only in it for the money, he tells us early on, has to take Limbali literally on his back and doesn't like it. And this is the only bit of discussion in the film where we have some talk about um, apartheid, black versus white, and Limbani through his openness and uh, kindness and humanity um, convinces Hardy Kruger that you might be the people that the person that we need here. Elsewhere, you've got um, Kenneth Griffith playing uh, the medic Arthur Whitty. And when they do the um, the interviews earlier on in the film, he says, um, well, can, can I get a divorce before I go to do this job? And they say, well, of course. How long have I got? So three weeks. Oh, that, that'll be fine. I, I can't wait to see the look on his face. Now, so the idea is, this is a gay man. And what you get is um, all of the people, these old soldiers and mercenaries, laughing through gritted teeth. Ha, 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 ha. That's hilarious because... We're not homophobic. Oh, no. Now, the, the, it would be more interesting were it not for the way that the character, and this is not Griffith's fault, probably, but the character is played like someone out of a Dick Emery um, series. It's like, oh, look at you, Ducky, and all that kind of stuff. And finally, when he does something incredibly heroic, which is he's being approached by all of these... Um, these in, the, the, by the forces on the island and he holds them off single-handedly he says something along the lines is oh what a shame look at you oh, look at you big men what a shame we can't be friends well you know you don't need to characterize all gay men like that do you but this is 1978 and it's not really striking a break uh, or striking back at perceived views anyway they finally get to the plane and there's a heart-rending scene when Roger Moore flying the plane um, is setting off and they're about to get free but they're leaving a couple of men behind Jock who of course, of course he's, 
he's Scottish, so he has to be called Jockey. No, he's not, he's not Jockey. That's Ronald Fraser. He's already gone. But the, um, the regimental sergeant major, the one who trained them all and wanted to come, even though uh, Richard Burton said, you can't really come, you, or no, I, I think you're too old. Um, he bites the dust. And the person who's left behind, trying desperately to get onto the plane, is, of course, Rafer, which leaves um, his great friend Richard Burton hanging out the plane, shouting, Rafer, Rafer, because he doesn't sound too upset about this life or death situation, with Richard Harry shouting, kill me, kill me, Alan. Okay, well, of course, he is, and uh, Burton's mortified, Rafer, Rafer. And then, the person they've gone to meet, Lim Barney, or the person they've gone to, to liberate, Lim Barney, who has a heart condition, dies in the plane. So not only are these people older, not only is the idea they had not working, not only were they fooled by some kind of British high up, they looked dicks as well because the, the mission they were going to, that they were going for, is a failure. Of course, Burton comes back, sees um, Matheson. It's actually quite a nice little bit where they confront each other in Matheson's house. He gets in there, where you've got ten servants, only ten. And he takes his gun out and Matheson says, oh, wait, wait a minute, and then gets shot, which is very nice, actually. does it very well. And, of course, um, it ends with... Um, with uh, Alan Faulkner, Richard, Richard Burton, going to see Rafer, Rafer's little boy, uh, who uh, called Emil for some reason, Emil, who is um, at a very posh school, as he promised Rafer, and saying, "Let's talk about your father." Well, it's really not very good, and it did really well at the box office, because it is, I'll use the word again, really entertaining hokum. But what you're actually saying is, never mind the tale, that's not important. I want you to like all these characters because they are famous actors, and so you all know them. You know Richard Burton, you know Richard Harris. They're talking in the film about being Hellraisers, so you know they are, so all of that works. You know Roger Moore's suave, you know he's doing all that. And so they don't need to do any character work. They don't need to do any character work to win us over. So they think, because we already know who they are, and that's the shorthand. It's absolute nonsense, and it's two hours, 14 minutes of your time. On a Saturday afternoon, it might be all right, but generally, this is the kind of movie, a bit like Showgirls, that should be here for, um, for court value. Drink along with Burton and Harris because in every scene they've got a glass of beer or scotch or something, or they're downing a glass of wine in one. We were supposed to have Lewis Collins in the sequel. Yes, there was a sequel because this is a big movie, but really, this is nonsense. In the sequel, we were supposed to have Richard Burton again, but he sadly passed just before filming began. Uh, Roger Moore was also thought to be in the, in the sequel, but Edward Fox um, played Alex Faulkner, Burton, the Burton character's brother, keep it in the family. 
and um, Laurence Olivier played Rudolf Hess because he liked his middle European accent, you see. So that's a load of old hokum too, and actually worse than this. Yes, there is a film that's worse than this. It's two out of five because you've got all them big actors basically playing themselves. And really, right from the moment where you say we're going to have Burton and Moore and Richard Harris, this goose is well and truly cooked. Ta-ta. Thank you.